It is 11.30 in the Central Time Zone. Time for us to begin our midday discussion as we look at the news and uh, events happening around our area that affect our producers. And uh, we've got a full house here once again today. Right directly in front of me, I think, is Bob Brogan. I can't quite see him, but I'm pretty sure he's there. There he is. And uh, we have Jason Jorgensen. And Susan Littlefield, who's trying to uh, dry out a little bit. It's been wet in many areas you've been. <laughs> Isn't that right? So what is, It so, is absolutely crazy. I spent yeah. some time. Go ahead. No, I was saying that what have you been seeing? Well, I was going to say what we've been seeing is out and about. I know that Bryce and Alex are headed up towards the West Point area, checking out all the extreme flooding on the Shell Creek, meeting up with some folks that are doing some water testing there we have the big blue river which is just literally across our county road from us and that has come out of its banks and will continue until tomorrow morning so lots of corn and soybean fields underwater talk to producers moving livestock fixing some fence trying to get power to fences to keep livestock in it was about a year ago at this time that we went through all of this and then again in august as well so mother nature just reminding us who's in charge and we're going to find out more about that at 117 as clay catches up with meteorologist brian blesdo as he talks about the question we've seen more severe weather and hail in the early part of 2018 so they will have a focus on that jumping back to 1219 as shaley peters will feature the nebraska extension ag economist jim jansen as he breaks down the results of the 2018 farm real estate survey then coming up at 1245, Alex will catch with the Pride of the Prairie 4-H Club in Elmwood. was one of 25 4-H clubs in the state to receive the Governor's Agricultural Excellence Award. So lots of things happening, and we'll keep slopping through the mud and water along with everybody else on the Rural Radio Network. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. Talking about slopping through uh, wetness, the CWS continues to deal with weather. Yeah, they wanted to play game one of the finals last night between Arkansas and Oregon State. That did not happen. I don't think Oregon State has a problem with that because an extra day helps them out, especially with their pitching staff. They had many more innings and games to play than Arkansas did. So if you're Oregon State, they're probably okay with that. Uh, They'll try again tonight. Hopefully they can get the game in. This is the fifth day of this year's College World Series that was affected by rain. Does this give any credence to some of the places that are saying, hey, we need to play this in Texas or somewhere where it doesn't get any weather? I don't know. <laughs> CWS is not moving That's, for the foreseeable it's, future. It's They're Omaha. Pretty yep. good thing there in Omaha. Right. Also, the NBA's MVP award was handed out. James Harden of Houston, he was able to win it. First time he has been named MVP. Of course, all of the LeBron James supporters are saying he should have got it, but that's that's how it goes. Also, we'll talk about John Daly. He has pulled out of the U.S. Senior Open. He's upset they wouldn't let him ride a cart to play. <laughs> John Daly. <laughs> uh, what a legacy he's left. Speaking of legacies, Bob Brogan. U.S. stocks are rising <laughs> at midday. We're watching that situation. Of course, unless you've been under a rock, the Supreme Court upheld President Donald Trump's ban on travel from several mostly Muslim countries. Not directly related to business, but it could have some repercussions. Also, uh, U.S. home prices rose in April. 11.44 here in the Central Time Zone. Time for us to take a look at uh, our ag weather and some of the the uh, things that are 
affecting our weather right now, and it's certainly warming up out there, Dirk, a little certainly, bit. Yeah, it's sunny and warmer, and it's not going to let up for a while. We are looking at some pretty high humidity situations as well. Clear skies for tonight, and sunshine will close out the rest of the week, at least mostly sunny skies. As temperatures return to those lower 90s, you can, I think, safely say that springtime is over. Summer is going to be really in here, and the upper 90s are on the way as we head toward the latter part of this week. Did we have spring? Did I miss that? I, I, I'm counting these last two days or three of actual summer as spring. We're sliding okay. that over. All we'll right. have to see what that so does to the schedule toward fall again. Late extra credit, so we have some stoppage time coming up. Hopefully it's, that's it's world That's yep. right. But as we head into the weekend, there is, again, chances of showers and thunderstorms, and that rates at maybe a 20 to 30% chance over a good portion of the state. And, of course, as we get closer, we'll get you more detailed information on that. But generally speaking, it's a hotter and drier forecast, and the weather is calling for a wide range of conditions across the Midwest in the next a week to 10 days. The next two days feature continued showers and thunderstorms, locally heavy rain, flood threats in the western and central Midwest. And the overall effect of the rain right now is considered to be favorable for the developing corn and soybeans. Six to 10 day time frame, however, is featuring upper level high pressure forming across the south central U.S. and that's bringing a turn to hotter, drier conditions and that will dry out the soils. The pattern does not appear to be stressful for pollinating corn, but will bear watching in days and weeks ahead. And the southern plains, a turn to the hotter and drier conditions will begin by Tuesday and probably won't let up for the next 10 days. The hotter, drier trend will allow the wheat harvest to resume, however, and that's good news for those farmers. Showers, milder weather have been more favorable for developing corn and soybeans in the region. However, developing upper atmosphere high pressure in the next week to 10 will probably bring on that return to hot, dry conditions. Hotter weather depleting soil moisture there in the southern plains and increasing crop stress, especially for the pollinating corn. West Texas, dry pattern is likely to continue during this week and next, but awfully dry there and temperatures will stay mostly above normal. In the northern plains, favorable conditions remaining in effect for the developing corn, soybeans, and spring wheat. The pattern expected to continue during the next 10 days there as well. And as we look at the prairies, uh, variable pattern and episodes of showers along the Canadian side of the border will favor developing crops. Rainfall appears to favor the southern and eastern locations of Canada during the balance of the week, but may develop a little further north after that. Southern Russia, the Black Sea region, dryness and episodes of hot continue to stress corn and sunflower development there, especially the southern and eastern Ukraine and southern Russia areas. The center of the concern appears to be South Russia, frequent hot days, little rainfall, even when cold fronts move through the area. A more favorable weather pattern for crops is in effect in the west and central Ukraine, the Belarus and even Moldova area at this time. Let's move to northeast China where it continues with variable temperature patterns and episodes of showers generally favor for the developing crops there. In central China, moderate to heavy thunderstorms occurring in the key growing areas and during the past 24 hours, hot dry conditions shifted a little further south. Showers settled into the Yangtze River Valley and will weaken during the next couple of days. Meanwhile, the drier and hotter session of uh, weather redevelops over the northern China plain and will continue through Saturday. The next chance for scattered thunderstorm in the area looks to be Sunday into Monday and uh, that is being called a significant event. 
moving ahead. And let's move to India where monsoons are forecast to move further northward later this week and during the weekend. The northward progression would bring monsoon rains into the Ganges Plain. Monsoon progression later than average this year. However, the monsoon front has reached into key growing seasons uh, areas rather of the west central and central India areas. So their soybeans, sorghum, cotton and sugar cane have all benefited from the rain development. So overall it looks as though what America is looking at is not bad conditions at this time except for some select southern and southwestern areas which are very dry but we've been very lucky so far and if we can just keep that up and not get it too hot too long looks like things will probably come along well for this early developing crop well the lament of uh, my stepfather the farmer all the time when the weather was really hot it makes the corn grow so that's uh, you can actually hear it you can it's either you're hearing that or my sweat. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. Well, Dirk, thank you so much for filling in today. Appreciate it. And uh, and I got to ask you, when if you're going to go look for weather somewhere, where do you go? I think I would go to krvn.com. Uncertainty is brewing from RFS target announcement delay. I'm Shaley Peters with you on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday check of your ag news here on a Tuesday. Uncertainty remains amid the renewable fuel standard as the Trump administration backed away from a planned announcement late last week. The proposed volume obligation requirements or biofuels targets are still expected any day, though oil industry opposition apparently led the Trump administration to temporarily abandon the proposal. The proposal is estimated to require 19.88 billion gallons of biofuels to be used in 2019, a 3.1% increase over 2018 requirements with a quota for 4.88 billion gallons of advanced biofuels that would mean the EPA is proposing to require 15 billion gallons of conventional renewable fuels including corn-based ethanol the same as required in 2018 and the maximum that can be compelled under federal law. American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers President Chet Thompson called the proposal a backroom deal in a statement opposing the alleged proposal. The EPA apparently was planning to make a volumes loss through hardship waivers granted to refiners under the RFS. The oil industry is vowing to fight the proposal if it moves forward. And parts of the Midwest seeing significant amounts of rainfall here just this past week, as well as severe weather more recently. Meteorologist Brian Bledsoe talks about how this relates back to drought. Well, a lot of it is drought relief, really, especially, you know, south of I-70. And this was a a very clear-cut situation even last fall where uh, a La Nina episode was developing out there in the Pacific. And typically when you have something uh, like that going, areas along... Uh, and north of I-70 benefit the most in terms of moisture, and that's especially true up along I-80. Uh, but once you go south of 70, you know, drought uh, was going to be a big problem, and boy, has it ever. I mean, we were dealing with severe to exceptional drought across uh, southwest Kansas, southeast Colorado, until here recently when the La Nina has finally vacated and has been gone now for a few months, and then things have actually started to get uh, a little bit better. But uh, it's certainly taken a sweet time getting that moisture farther south. And farmers know when they lose soil, they lose profits. Preventing soil erosion is good for the environment and for producers' bottom line. The USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service has funding available to help Nebraska's farmers control erosion on their cropland. This funding is available through a special ephemeral gully control initiative under the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. 
Eligible producers have until July 20th to apply. Controlling erosion is especially important for recipients of USDA program benefits like federal crop insurance subsidies and conservation program payments. USDA program participants are required to control erosion on all cropland determined to be highly erodible. The funding available through this special initiative can help farmers meet that requirement. And despite widely varied weather across the U.S., overall conditions for the nation's corn and soybeans held mostly steady this past week. According to the USDA National Ag Statistics Service weekly crop progress report that came out yesterday afternoon. NAS lowered its good to excellent rating for corn just one percentage point from 78% the previous week. Meanwhile, NASA's good to excellent rating for soybeans stayed at 73% last week, and they were reporting that 41% of winter wheat was harvested as of Sunday, ahead of the five-year average of 33%. The Kansas winter wheat harvest was 52% complete, well ahead of its its usual pace. Sorghum was 95% planted as of Sunday. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. Final results have been released from the 2018 Nebraska Farm Real Estate Survey. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. We visit today with Jim Jansen. He's an agricultural economist with Nebraska Extension. Jim, this is a survey that you guys have been putting together for quite some time now at the university and it covers a wide array of things and I would like you to just first of all get in and talk a little bit about this survey and what you guys saw overall with it. The annual survey of ag producers uh, that we conduct on the, the current state of the land industry we survey those that deal directly with these individuals so these would include agricultural appraisers, farm managers as well as agricultural bankers across Nebraska. We published the final results from the survey. We estimated the average value of ag land, so that's taking into account all the different types of pasture, grazing, hay land, things of that nature. We found that the average value of farmland in Nebraska dropped about four uh, percent, which was down about four, or excuse me, down about eighteen percent compared to a high of four years ago. Ag land in the state is composed of uh, about nine and a half million acres of irrigated cropland another 11 million on dry land cropland and the remainder of the balance around 20 million acres is either in hayland or grazing land. In addition to that, we conducted uh, questions pertaining to cash rent in Nebraska. On average across the state, we found that the average value, uh, average rental rate trended down a few percent across the state. There were a few situations where it was maybe slightly higher, but only marginally at maybe one or two or three percent. Also, those folks that participated in our survey noted uh, pertaining to the future changes in the value of land that there was a lot of concern expressed around current property tax levels along with future policy changes on property taxes in Nebraska. Uh, also of concern were the current commodity prices, especially on the green side. I'm not sure too many people were surprised by the fact that it was the fourth consecutive year of declining ag land values, Jim, but was there anything specifically that stood out to you? There were a few bright spots. Not all of it was down. Was there anything specifically that stood out as you started to process these results? When it comes to this annual survey, we I think there's about 72 different types of land across, if you take into account all the different types of land across the, the different regions of the states that we report on. Uh, this year, We've just seen another year of gradual declines. There wasn't anything specifically that stuck out to me. 
But after you compound this over time, obviously this would influence the market value of land, which we've seen you know, down about 18%, give or take a few across the state of Nebraska. Many folks are concerned about the value of land as this is an asset that we typically use to help uh, procure funds to operate under if we have a line of credit or securitize other different forms of debt. So uh, in the industry like we're in, it's healthy to see land values, whether it's increasing or decreasing. It's at a gradual rate, so I wouldn't say there's any need to panic at this point. But it's it's what we would expect to see given where things are at. Jim Jansen, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Economist, visiting with us today about the final results released from the 2018 Nebraska Farm Real Estate Survey. Again, not too many surprises. A fourth consecutive year of declining ag land values. And to find the complete results with the Nebraska land values and cash rents, you can head on over to RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, game one of the College World Series finals, of course, between Arkansas and Oregon State, never got started last night due to the weather. They will try again tonight. Now, game two would be set for tomorrow night if they need a game three. That would be held on Thursday. This is the fifth day of weather delays of this year's CWS. Also, this does help out Oregon State a little bit, which needed some much-needed rest for its pitching staff. Weather also overtook the first round of stroke playing qualifying at the 51st Annual Nebraska Match Play Championship at Champions Run. After heavy rains throughout the day, play was suspended last night at about 7. Now they are playing today, and Norfolk's Luke Kluver continues to lead the way after shooting an opening round 67. He's now 6-under for the tournament, 9 holes into his second round. Sean Strong of Omaha sets in second place at 4-under. The Chicago Cubs might have further word on you, Darvish after the Japanese ace said he felt soreness in his troubled triceps tendon following a minor league rehab start. Of course, he hasn't pitched in the majors since the end of May because of that injury. He did throw five sharp innings for Class A South Bend yesterday and was reset to join the Cubs during their series at Dodger Stadium. John Daly has withdrawn from the U.S. Senior Open, citing a deteriorating knee condition and blaming the USGA for not allowing him to use a golf cart. The 52-year-old two-time major champion went on Twitter to say that the group turned down his request to use a golf cart, which could have been allowed under the rules that conform with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now, the USGA responded saying it offered Daly a chance to provide additional information about his condition. Daly says he never received such a request. Now, golf carts are generally forbidden in tournament play. Of course, drama is nothing new to Daly, who withdrew from a tournament last October after his knee collapsed. He did finish seventh at last week's Champions Tour event. And Houston Rockets guard James Harden has come away with the NBA's Most Valuable Player Award. After leading the NBA in scoring three-pointers and 50-point games, he also helped the Rockets win 65 games as they came up just short in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals to eventual champion Golden State. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies tonight, lows, low 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska Natural Resources District is opening Omaha's newest park and lake after spending nine years developing the $44 million project. The Papio-Missouri River District will open Flanagan Lake 
The area includes 475 acres of parkland, recreational trails, and a flood control reservoir. The lake will reduce the floodplain and likely eliminate or reduce flood insurance rates for area homeowners. The district broke ground on the project almost three years ago. It will turn the park and lake over to the city of Omaha to operate. The city named the recreation area after the Reverend Edward Flanagan, the founder of Boys Town. The grand opening this week will include a ribbon-cutting ceremony and a contest with prizes. Kearney-based Buckle donated $46,000 to the American Cancer Society towards the continuing efforts to fight breast cancer in a check presentation on Monday. Buckle.com and stores across the country sold select products such as T-shirts, tanks, and bralettes from October of 2017 through February of this year to raise money for the donation. ACS Representative Angie Fitzgerald of Egan, Minnesota attended the check presentation. Later, she commented on the fundraising effort. We did know about the effort Buckle was making, and um, we are incredibly thankful for the donations that were raised. And, um, yeah, $46,000 is a very generous donation that they are putting towards this important cause. An American Cancer Society news release says funds raised help the American Cancer Society attack breast cancer from every angle, from developing breakthrough therapies to building supportive communities. Also, the employees of the buckle collected over $5,000 of needed items for Hope Lodge, Nebraska in Omaha, which were delivered in March of this year. Hope Lodge is a home away from home for cancer patients who need to travel to receive life-saving treatment. The Kansas Supreme Court has ruled that Kansas' spending on public schools remains inadequate despite an increased approval early this year, but gave the state another year to boost funding. The high court rejected arguments from Kansas that the new law phasing in $548 million increase in funding over five years is enough to provide a suitable education for every child. But the court delayed its mandate until June of 2019 or until further order of the court. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Only 25 Nebraska 4-H clubs received a Governor's Agricultural Excellence Award last night on UNL East Campus. Good afternoon, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network, and I visited with Becky Cheney, club leader of the Pride of the Prairie 4-H Club in Gosper County. She explains the purpose of the award and what her outstanding 4-H club plans to do with the award money. Many clubs around the state submit an application, and it's for a community service project, and People put in applications um, for maybe medical kits they want to give to the community or they want to build a garden in the community or they want to do maybe something for a therapeutic riding club. And our community service project was we we had friends that had a devastating fire on their ranch in uh, Torrington, Wyoming, and it destroyed 15,000 acres and destroyed over 100 head of their cattle and we wanted to go up and help them um, with some of the rebuilding maybe some fencing maybe some painting and our club had done a similar uh, community service project when the devastating fires hit Kansas 
and we took 10 kids down to Kansas um, last April, and it was just a remarkable journey for those kids, and um, really life-changing for them, and um, it was just something we'll never forget, and I knew if we ever had the opportunity to do another trip like that, and just how impactful it was for them, we wanted to try to do that. Cheney discussed some of the skills students obtained from their community service projects in Kansas and what she hopes they continue to learn in Wyoming. Some of the tools that they learned to use, uh, some of them already knew how to use some tools like with tearing down fence, rolling up fence, you know, with going to Torrington, Wyoming, we'll probably do some painting, but so some of the kids know how to do some of that, some of the kids didn't, but they were willing to learn, and that was exciting. When we were in Kansas, it was pretty cold and windy, but the kids never complained, and we worked so hard, and that was really great to see because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you have kids complaining, they want to stop. These kids just wanted to keep going. They wanted to go longer. They kept going and wanted to go another day. You know, that's what we really like to see in our young people and these 4-H kids. You know, it's all about learning by doing. Cheney also reflected on how the families and communities the Pride of the Prairie 4-H Club serves all take notice of the students' efforts. Well, when we helped um, uh, the rancher that we helped in Kansas, her name was Susan, and I know when Susan shared her story with our 4-H'ers about when she was escaping the fires, that she was in tears and our 4-H'ers were in tears. And I, I just think just hearing the stories of the ranchers that they had lost so much, they barely escaped the fires, and I just think meeting those other ranchers and how they appreciated us driving down from Nebraska to help them in their, you know, when they were in crisis. I just think it meant so much to them, and then it meant so much to the kids. Cheney continued by explaining a few of the club members' 4-H projects within the Pride of the Prairie Club. Most of the kids all raise pigs. Some of them raise some beef cattle. Uh, a lot of them are involved now in livestock skillathon or livestock judging. Those are skills that really build in their um, self-confidence, decision-making, public speaking skills. So I really try to help the kids in those areas because I think they really gain a lot of, a lot of experience and it will help them further down the road when they're in high school and college and in their, in their careers. One of those club members is Aiden Moore. My 4-H project is that uh, me and my family of 10, uh, we all raise pigs for uh, the county fair in Elwood. Aiden says raising pigs and being involved in 4-H has taught him responsibility and the importance of helping others. But the biggest challenge for Aiden is time availability. For 4-H, there's just so many things to do but most of the time you won't have the time to do everything which is just really sad because every opportunity you just gotta take for with 4-H because it is an amazing opportunity to have. When asked about his favorite part of 4-H Aiden said we went down to Kansas twice one to help feed vets and one time to help with people with fire damage it's honestly the people's reaction and they're and just they just thanking us a few other people thanking 4-H members for their efforts included Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, Nebraska Director of Agriculture Steve Wellman, 
Executive Director of the Nebraska Investment Authority, Tim Kenny, and UNL representatives who were all there to help present the awards. Governor Ricketts reiterated the message he presented to those students. The mission for my administration is to grow Nebraska. And that means creating more and better jobs so that the young people here can find their careers here in our state. And if we're going to grow Nebraska, we have to grow agriculture. That's the heart and soul of what we do in our state. It's our number one industry and it drives our economy. And what we talked about is how we do that through trade, through value-added agriculture, through you know all the things like biofuels that will help us grow our economy. And why it was so important that all these young people were here tonight to be those future leaders of our agribusinesses, the future producers we're going to have here in our state to continue to grow our great economy. The Nebraska 4-H Governor's Agricultural Excellence Award is sponsored by the Nebraska Investment Finance Authority. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. As we take a look at our closing livestock futures, we're joined with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. And Joe, as we take a look, a decent close for hogs and mixed for cattle. Yeah, mixed for cattle. The front end of the cattle uh, a little bit easier, but they uh, did come back off their lows uh, going into the close, but uh, still managed to close lower. The very back end, February, April, June, uh, closed a little bit higher. Uh, actually, uh, kind of a quiet day in the uh, cattle. Still waiting to hear uh, some kind of bid or uh, even a trade of any consequence in the cattle, and that's what kind of weighed on the uh, front end uh, today. Uh, the back end uh, uh, just almost like a non-existent trade back there, so uh, some bear spreading uh, taking place because of the weaker uh, cash that we have seen. Cutouts were uh, mixed in, uh, in the cattle, and then over in the uh, hogs, uh, a pretty good day. Uh, we even had uh, uh, triple-digit gains in a couple, uh, but cash was a little bit weaker. But uh, considering that we're now discount uh, to the uh, index, we uh, saw uh, a pretty good uh, short-covering rally. Market a little oversold in the hogs, and that's uh, one of the reasons for the strength. Now, over in the feeders, they just finished higher, just slightly higher across the board. Uh, very quiet trade there. Uh, just back and forth all day long, finishing higher, and I think uh, it was mainly due to uh, the grains being weaker most of the day. But still. At Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, joining us for a look at the closing livestock futures on the Rural Radio Network. Severe weather is something everyone has to contend with year after year, but are we seeing an increased amount of severe weather in 2018? We answer that question right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Helping us answer that question is meteorologist Brian Bledsoe, his company WXLLC. And Brian, we thank you for joining us. As we get started here, let's just go over what does the current weather pattern shape up like for the central Midwest of eastern Colorado, western Kansas, south central and southwestern Nebraska and eastern Wyoming. Well, a lot of it is drought relief, really, especially, you know, south of I-70. And this was a a very clear-cut situation even last fall where uh, a La Nina episode was developing out there in the Pacific, and typically when you have something uh, like that going, areas along uh, and north of I-70 benefit the most in terms of moisture, and that's especially true up along I-80. Uh, but once you go south of 70, you know, drought uh, was going to be a big problem, and boy, has it ever. I mean, we were dealing with severe to exceptional drought across uh, southwest Kansas, southeast Colorado, 
until here recently when the La Nina has finally vacated and has been gone now for a few months, and then things have actually started to get uh, a little bit better. But uh, it's certainly taking its sweet time getting that moisture farther south. Brian, a lot of my basis for this thought process came from a drive I had this weekend, and we drove from eastern Colorado, western Kansas, up into south-central Nebraska, and we drove through quite a bit of hail through a series of thunderstorms that afternoon, and I called several producers following that, and it, that there had been a recent uptick in the amount of hail that they've seen that they had compared to other years. So is it the fact that moisture in the ground, is that why we're seeing this increased amount of hail? It, it relates to moisture in the ground, yeah, because if you if you look at what's happened at, uh, in southwest Kansas, you know, they, uh, they haven't had much severe weather uh, to talk about at all. Uh, same thing down in western, you know, Oklahoma and even the Texas Panhandle. So, uh, again, it's, it's very closely tied to the moisture. If you have moisture locally, you know, you feel thunderstorms in the summertime just with daytime heating, uh, and most of those thunderstorms can get pretty salty and have, you know, have some hail with it. So, in terms of have, have those areas seen more hail this year than, than years in the past or whatever, I think it's pretty closely tied to the years in the past that have had the moisture locally then that's where you're seeing the hail, not necessarily a phenomenon that has just crept up on us. Brian, as we start to wrap up here, for folks who want to follow your weather forecasts and see some of the weather research that you're currently working on, what's the best way to do that? Well, you can you can simply email me if you like, uh, and that's uh, Brian Bledsoe, uh, WX at gmail.com, uh, or you can check us out uh, at weather5280.com. Uh, we'll do some work here in the western high, uh, high plains with... Uh, a couple of guys out of Denver, and we we try to really focus on, uh, you know, eastern Colorado, western Kansas, western Nebraska, the southeast line with those western high plains areas uh, to try to give folks not only weather that they can use on a day-to-day basis, but also when it comes to seasonal planning uh, and forecasting. And I do a lot of speaking around the region, too, so I'm sure some of your listeners have heard me speak before at, you know, different conferences or whatever. But, yeah, if you've got questions or if you want if you want more information about how this kind of works, uh, you know, you can uh, feel free to contact me. But really, it's about, you know, kind of making the weather work for you uh, and managing your risk when it comes to agriculture. And I grew up that way, so I, I know all about it. Again, we've talked with meteorologist Brian Bledsoe, his weather company, WXLLC, today. And the basis question of, have we seen an increase in amount of severe weather in 2018? And it really doesn't factor into that. The big driving fact is that moisture in the soil. When you want the latest in ag news and market information, make sure you keep it here on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look at the closing grains with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, as we take a look here at the close, wheat and soybeans falling to the red, but corn, even though it dipped, it did, was able to return higher. Yeah, corn had a you know kind of a stalwart day. We were up solidly early, you know, pushing on 475 new crop and just couldn't hang as wheat really fell apart. So this is Tuesday, Thursday's first notice day. I think we'll probably see this type of price action through then. Uh, and given that we broke the, the kind of Tuesday lows, the post-rally, when it, when it made those lows early uh, early last week and then rallied, we had kind of some established some support. Beans and wheat have broken that, and corn is kind of hanging above it. But I, I do think we'll maybe see a test of that level before the end of the week. So uh, just the kind of day two of this week, I think we'll have two more days, and then uh, we'll get through the end of the quarter, first notice day, and this grand report. And I think you know things should look, I think, a little better on the on the cash price front after that. Uh, as far as new crop 
prospects. We're calling for more rain. Every every day I look at the GFS model mid-morning, just the northern part of Iowa just is conti- continuously under, you know, two to three inches. Uh, so rain makes grain, right? It sounds like we're going to have a whopper of a crop. And as we take a look here, uh, wheat, again, following back into those double-digit loss territory once again, where do we need to find support levels here? I think about 450, 440 front month, so we're, we're not far. But, again, this is the kind of price action we've seen in the last couple of years when it comes to wheat. Delivery is not the time to own it. You want to own it after delivery. So think of it, you're the commercial buyer. You know that the, the retail seller, the farmer, has to move it. They have no place to put it, or if they do, they got to pay to store it. And so you're seeing, uh, you know, essentially the squeeze on. And, and the commercial buyers, I think, are going to get a lot more aggressive here. The main difference between now and a year ago is the basis. A year ago, basis was 50 under in parts south of you guys. Now it's probably 20 over. So I don't think we're going to see anything like a $4 handle. But, you know, a year ago, when September rolled around, we had a three on the front month of this, on the front of this corn price with essentially the same amount of supply. So carry out this week we're going to get uh, you know the one billion bushel number that's uh, essentially in coffers here as far as wheat goes which is not bullish we're not seeing a ton of export business uh given the trade talk there's no real interest to buy anything right now so you're seeing a complete fun washout wheat was the last one to kind of hold on to those positions but i do think once we get through delivery here the folks will go back on russia you can see the chicago market hanging in really well which i think tells me the international problems do exist but i think over the short run if you've got bushels to store or sell you know, i think you're being pushed to a pretty hard decision here given the carry and that is john payne senior marketing analyst with daniels trading visit danielsagmarketing.com for more information you're listening to the rural radio network <laughs> 